This is Jim Semivan, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and I am joined for a reaction podcast, and I'm going to do several of these over the next couple of days with individuals who have been involved in many different ways in the UFO topic over the last couple of years. Who better to start off with than the co-founder of The Debrief, I believe one of the premier organisations for reporting on many topics, but particularly UFOs over the last few years. Uh, Joining me again is Tim McMillan. Welcome back, Tim. Hey, Andy, it's good to be here, man. Good to see you. Good to have you on. (laughs) Exciting times. I was going to say, like, hell of a few days for everyone involved in the UFO topic. How's it been for you and obviously the other folks over at the debrief? Oh, man, yeah, it's been a a busy week. (laughs) Um, Obviously, we kind of knew that going into it. Uh, You know, jumping right back into the fire because I came back from vacation uh, in London, actually, Sunday night. So, you know, getting ready for, for a busy week. And it, uh, interestingly, we, we kind of anticipated it. Obviously, there was gonna be a lot of tension for the hearing, a highly anticipated uh, hearing. And then, you know, we, we also had kind of a unexpected surprise at the end of the week from uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, uh, the director of Aero, the Pentagon's UFO study program. Um, but we were also kind of planning because we have gotten word that, uh, Though it didn't come out, the the uh, the next Aero UAP report uh, and NASA's UAP study is is on time, and so uh, those could have come out. We were kind of prepared; those could have come out this week too. So, thinking of let's go back to the beginning. Then, the your thoughts going into the hearings, given the build up, obviously Representative Tim Burchett's all over the news. He is you know burning the candle at both ends. He is very much spearheading the efforts. What were your thoughts going into the hearings with Tim leading the charge, the changes, and what were you expecting before they kicked off? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what I was expecting. I would say my expectations were relatively low. Uh, you know, they have been for all of these hearings. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't expect them to roll out the Roswell bodies, but at the same time, we knew going into this that we had uh, David Rush was going to be one of the people testifying. And, uh, you know, having covered his story uh, through Ralph and Leslie at the debrief and then having an opportunity to, to talk to him considerably leading up to this, uh, you know, he's got some <laughs> really compelling things to share. And so I didn't know how much of that was going to come out in the hearing. Um, you know, I, it, they tend to be political theater, too. And we did see a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, but my expectations were relatively low um, going into it. And so it was nice in this particular instance. I will admit I was uh, I was surprised <laughs> when it came down to it. What were your thoughts when you heard about, well, I'm going to say last minute changes. Everyone was expecting Timbershet to be chairing the hearing with Representative Anna Paulina Luna. And then it seemed to change very last minute. But then I've heard rumblings that he was never meant to chair the hearing. That was a misunderstanding. Other folks saying that he was replaced. What are your understandings of that situation? Yeah, I was I was really confused when I saw some of the drama uh, coming out that uh, Tim Bruchette was saying he wasn't going to chair the hearing uh, because I fell in the camp of people <laughs> who never expected him to chair the hearing. And, and some of that, again, maybe maybe it's because I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. I've been on vacation and traveling for work, and so. I hadn't been as intimately paying attention to every every bit of Timber Shed's interviews or any of that kind of stuff. But just going into it, I knew that he was not a chair or a vice chair of that particular subcommittee or the oversight committee. 
And so, uh, you know, it's pretty black and white and standard in terms of the, every subcommittee sets their own rules. Uh, and, um, you know, almost all of them, it's that uh, the the chair of the committee, regardless of the hearing, always chairs it, is the person who's there. Uh, and, and after I saw a little bit of controversy with it, I actually pulled up that particular, uh, the National Security Oversight Subcommittee's rules. And I'm like, well, it's, it's black and white. So long as the chair of that subcommittee and vice chair are present, uh, and there is no rule in their written record that allows them to even give that away. And so um, I don't know enough on the, the buildup to there to know if there was any controversy, whether it was something that uh, just was never covered. They kind of assumed everybody would know that. Or perhaps they, they did indeed want to allow Burchett and Luna to, to chair it. But then at the last minute, somebody went, oh, man, hey, the rules, you know, there is no rule that allows us to give it away. Um, there was certainly, uh, I would say, you know, watching the hearing, there's certainly some, you know, neither of them were diminished in any capacity. In fact, no. both were allowed to read opening statements, which... Um, you know, that's up to the chair, but that's not normally, you know, there's a lot of things that they were allowed to do. And in fact, uh, Burchette, uh, to a large degree, acted almost in the capacity of chair, frankly. hundred percent. Yep. So I, I don't think uh, it, it, I, I think it uh, was either somebody slipped up and didn't look at the at the brass tax rules in, until the last minute. Uh, I think that's probably the most likely explanation there. It certainly didn't take away anything, I think. no. No, no, not at all. And like you say, I think uh, Timbershet, outside of the witnesses, certainly spoke more than anyone else. And everyone else was giving up their time. They get allotted 10 minutes to ask questions, don't they? And once they were finished, they were they were giving that time back to Timbershet. So um, so that was that was pretty pretty good that he, he got the time he was expecting anyway. Because he did put, regardless of what you think of Timbershet and his politics and all that stuff, he did mm-hmm. put a lot of work into these going into it. So um so sure. what, what was your actual reaction in the hearings go two hours, 20 minutes? What was immediately kind of jumping out at you? Oh, man, a lot of things. So, you know, is uh, we were we were watching the, the hearing through our debrief kind of workflow, private chat. And, I, you know, I can describe that my reaction for a large part of it, uh, you know, the, the surprise blinking guy meme that's constantly like, what? what? You know, that was a lot of my reaction, um, you know, just from the onset. So uh, I had read uh, David Rush's opening statement the night before because uh, they're were, they were required to provide those to the, the committee. And I noticed he had said under oath a couple of times. And I'm like, well, is he just assuming he's going to be under oath or has he been told he's under oath? Because that's not uh, typically they don't swear in witnesses, especially for this type of committee hearing. You know, this isn't. Um, and so I, from the onset, I was really surprised that they swore them in under oath. And he's in this very atypical, not what you see. And and so uh, if anybody's ever seen any other hearings that you see the secretary of defense or the DNI testifying to Congress, they're not sworn in beforehand. So this is totally up to the discretion of the the committee chair. But the fact they swore him in, I was like, wow, okay, so this is going to put whatever said in this hearing is going to be legally binding. You know, this is the same way if you're, you're testifying in court. Uh, their consequences if someone's uh, you know willfully and knowingly lying, and so that really surprised me from the onset. And then you know, you know the, obviously the subject matter surprised me, and I'm sure you, you we'll get into some of that, and uh, I'm sure some of the other guests you'll have on, and this we'll get into some of that. But I'll say some of the other things that maybe um, 
you know, kind of got looked over that surprised me. I was uh, I was really surprised and I would say impressed that you had a number of non-committee members in attendance there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was some you know, grumblings about, well, the whole uh, subcommittee wasn't there. Very typical. You know, you only need two committee members uh, to, to form a quorum. And, and in fact, a lot of times that's all you have. Um, and we saw that with uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick's hearing about three months ago. You know, there's only Three, three congressmen there. Yeah. But this one, you you had eighteen or nineteen, and a, and a large number of those. So they formed the entire subcommittee, but a large number of those were, were non-committee members who were allowed to do attend. So that was really surprising. So that was impressive because you saw a number of of lawmakers who chose to attend, wanted to attend, uh, were allowed opportunities to to offer questioning. And out of those non-committee, non-subcommittee members who attended, you had some really, um, you know, some political firebrands and some very well-known. Uh, AOC was there. Yeah. Uh, Matt Gates. You know, again, some of these are very controversial figures, but and that's why I call them firebrands. But they generate a lot of attention, and so the fact that they were in attendance really, you know, I, I found surprising, and I think the the quality and tone of their their questioning i was very impressed with you know this was not again these these are politicians that are frequently seen on the news frequently stirring up controversies for their different political uh you know factions and there was none of that in this hearing and that was really impressive and i think you mentioned that just a moment ago when you talk about Timbershet and his politics um there are some controversial politicians that were in attendance there but there was no controversy in this hearing. There was no uh, you know, political infighting. There was no kind of back and forth trying to get political points for any one side. Uh, but rather, these were, for the most part, uh, you know, everyone was extremely engaged. And so that was really I, I was impressed to see that. And, and I think that that kind of. Uh, you know, mentally noting it, it goes through it. And, and I, I think that every real significant politician in the U.S. government at this point, at the legislative level, so, so outside of the president, vice president, has really weighed in on this topic and actually weighed in uh, taking a very serious, significant tone towards it. So I think that's impressive. That's interesting. And it, it, it leads you into this more realm of, of uh, information that's been provided or, or that they're privy to that, that perhaps hasn't come out in the public yet. Was there any worry in your part that it was going to be a bit of a circus? Now, just the fact there was this almost Hollywood red carpet hype beforehand, people queuing up like it was going to be the Barbie premiere, you know, where I'm going to get there the night before, I'm going to queue. People were talking about live streaming the event and selfies inside. And it was like, is it alien con or is this a congressional hearing? And that's the way I was a little bit worried. And the only moment I did slightly shudder a little bit was when Timbershet had his opening statement and there was a big round of applause. And I was like, is this going to be like a Hooter and Holleran session throughout? Right. And it didn't. And I'm glad it didn't turn into that. But was did you have any of those fears? Sure. I mean, obviously, I think that, uh, you know, I don't remember all the specifics, but there was certainly some some idea that this was going to be a circus atmosphere leading up to it. Um, you know, I, I was actually 
waiting to do a live hit for a television show uh, for News Nation who who had people out there and were showing the lines. So that's when I saw these lines outside the hearing. Yeah. I went, oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, that was, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because I don't think a lot of those people were able to get in. You know, that's things you could see from uh, all of us that watched on TV. There's very limited space there. And a lot of those chairs are reserved for the media as well or witnesses and their guests. So there's really not a lot of spectator room. Uh, and so I, I certainly thought, you know, I, I anticipated it was there could have become a circus atmosphere there. And, and obviously you mentioned that uh, you know, even some of the politicians that, that were there, Bruchette included, Matt Gates included, some of them can, you know, can, can certainly turn a congressional meeting into a bit of a circus, uh, you know, not 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 trying to put anybody down, but they can kind of you know, give you some good uh, some of those good clips for, for the newsreels at the end of it. Uh, but that didn't happen. And uh, I was really impressed by that, you know, in terms of the, what the witnesses, their demeanor, what they had to say. Uh, I didn't really have any concerns there. Uh, you know, I, I uh, have spoken considerably to two out of the three witnesses, Ryan Graves and, and David Grush. Uh haven't spoke, I've spoken very little to Commander Fravor, but I knew these guys. And so I knew that they're really polished and they came across that way during the entire hearing. And so that was, it was good that any, I would say any of this circus kind of atmosphere leading up to it uh, certainly didn't appear to have come from the politicians or any of the witnesses involved. So it's obviously hit pretty hard around uh, certainly in the UK, I'll speak for the UK because I've been fortunate to to do a lot of media since the event. Um, a lot of channels and news organisations, even in the background who haven't published pieces yet, have spoken to me about potentially doing something or what they want to do. And I've tried to give my advice as best I can and who, the people who they should really speak to, you know, real serious folks. And I wonder, much of the conversation from their end has really centred around David Grush mm -hmm. and his statements it's almost been a bit of like the, the anti-third wheel approach where you're on a date with your friend and his girlfriend and you feel kind of left out. And it's almost like Commander Fravor and Ryan Graves have been, they've done their piece, but almost like they weren't required. And those big statements from David Grush are what's gotten all the attention. But can you understand why? Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously what, what Grush is claiming, um, you know, those are the, the those are the eye popping claims, and it, it really kind of uh, leaps past uh, the testimony of, of Ryan Graves and, and uh, Commander David Fraper, simply because you know they're they give very compelling, they're very credible individuals. Uh, you know they speak well on it, and they're, they're you know I consider them highly credible witnesses to the events that they uh, you know encounter, and both in two thousand four and two thousand fourteen and fifteen. Uh, but theirs are encounters with something anomalous that they say is not our technology and exceeds any kind of uh, technology capability that we have on Earth, not just America, anybody. Whereas, so there's still this unknown, whereas David Crush is, is saying that, uh, that, you know, there is some known to this technology and that there's the possession of the materials and these types of things that have been recovered. Uh, you know, they kind of leaped back and so to, to a large degree, I think it's understandable because uh, Commander Fravor and uh, Ryan Graves, his testimony still leaves this mystery kind of out, lingering out there. So we've still got to figure out what are these things, whereas 
David Rush is is offering kind of this promise that there's a there's a shortcut to figuring it all out because maybe we are have already figured it out. And so I, I certainly can see why his testimony uh, and all of his claims generate the most attention. Um, you know, should they? I, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know, it's one of these things. It's 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 difficult. They're very compelling. The fact that he made a lot of his statements that he had already made to us, but but did that under oath. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly up the ante that he's already presented a lot of this, which is in the this legal arena and this kind of this arena of officialism that we had not seen before. His claims are not unique. We've had other people that have made these claims. What makes David Grush's testimony and what he's saying unique is the fact that he has he is making them through these official channels. Yep. Uh, in uh, in ways that hold consequences legally if he was just lying where everybody else there's really, you know, so that I think uh, is why, uh, you know, why David Grush is getting so much attention and frankly, understandably probably should. Well, in, in your opinion, is he lying? No, no. I mean, I, this goes back to when we covered, um, when we covered his story initially. Uh, with Ralph and Leslie, you know, my my role in all of that was really just fact finding. Ralph and Leslie did all the the work, you know, they did the yeoman's work. Uh, but before we go to publication, mine was the the fact finding and verification and fact check. So it involved me uh, both verifying the information that that David Rush and some of the other individuals in the article uh, had had said, but also trying to do that independent uh, of what Ralph and Leslie had done. So it, so it forced me into kind of digging in, talking to some other people about it specifically. And, uh, you know, from that, so, so again, you know, even though I, we had no doubts that what, what David Rush was saying, that he believes it to be true, uh, before we went to publication with it, um, the fact that he's saying it under oath only further affirms that, you know, because there's no consequences if he's lying to us, <laughs> he can deceive us and the consequences are on us, not him. But uh, the fact that he's done it under oath, there's legal consequences to it. And so going back to even the onset, I've always said, I believe that David Rush is is telling the truth as as he sees it. Now, that's a hard, I kind of caveat that because, um, you know, it's such an extraordinary claim um, to be just accepting that I believe that he he is sharing what he believes to be truth, mean that therefore what he's saying is true and I accept it. I'm not there yet, only because of, the, of what the significance of what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but it certainly makes it much, much more compelling. Was it Was it too much? Do you think it was too much looking back now in hindsight? What, did he share too much? Is that what you yeah. mean? Yeah, I mean, really, you've, we've gone from like baby steps with all of these. And like you say, we've been so used. And I went into this setting the bar low. Like, mm-hmm. I'm now at like, my expectations of Marvel movies low. You know, if I, if I break a smile, I crack a smile, I'm happy. Yeah, um, yeah. And all of a sudden, we went from massive redactions and reports, you know, tiptoeing around language, the odd use of E.T. here and there to, yeah, we've got the bodies, the craft, the biologics, and I can tell you where they are. Like, I mean, that went from A to Z quickly. Yes, yes. No, it, it did. And, and it's uh, and it's a hard question to answer. Did he did he share too too much? Um, Is that one time we'll answer, do you think, that in the coming months and maybe even years that we say we weren't ready or people weren't ready? 
I don't know. That's a tough. Yeah, that's one of those ones that you're like in in hindsight. You know, we'll be we'll perhaps be able to answer. I mean, it's kind of like answering the entire UAP uh, question as a whole, or what disclosure is. Of course, we want that. And we want it now. That's until you know what it actually is. You know? Yeah, it make a disclosure like, oh my god, this is so much worse. Like, like that. Can, can I tell you the the <laughs> moment for me that I felt was really jarring? Okay, and it wasn't anything David Grush said. It was one of the the questions, and I can't remember the. I think it was uh, one of the the ladies' names. She asked if it might have been Representative Luna actually, and it sounded like she dra- grabbed a question off a UFO Twitter or UFO X, whatever we're calling it these days. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Elon, for that. Um. And I hated that idea of taking questions from social media in that setting. It's not a podcast. Um, And she asked if there was any evidence of foreign adversarial governments having technology sharing agreements with non-human intelligences. And I was just like, no, 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 don't. Because that's a channel changer for me for other people who are maybe dipping into this to think, is there something worth watching here? They're talking about UFOs and aliens. And right. that for me was a jump the shark. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it maybe would have been more of a jump the shark, uh, you know, depending on what David Grush answered. Which in that case, yeah. he said, "I don't know anything about that. I hadn't heard anything about that." And I was glad. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. There, there's certainly, you know, there's certainly aspects of what uh, David Grush has said. Not necessarily that we're at the hearing, but but in other interviews. Um, not even what we published that that even I, you know, he did a lot of his TV interviews after our print article came out. Uh, and so some of the claims that were made uh, in some of the TV interviews, I, I remember kind of being like, well, that's a little while. You know, it seemed to be torn from from UFO lore. And you, you are you're like, oh, man, this is, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the Mussolini crashed UFO thing and stuff. And you're like, oh, what are we talking about here? Um and so it's hard to kind of measure that because I'm like you, I'm thinking, you know, it does inject this. If you take an objective view of it and go, okay, how much of this is belief? How much of this is opinion? How much is this is known fact? You know, we, I do think that, that it, it's important and, and it seemed during the hearing that, that uh, David Grushin, obviously Fravor and Graves really stuck to what they felt was was fact based on on personal or direct information, and in fact, yeah. I, I appreciated the fact that on numerous occasions David Rush said, "Yes, personally, as in personally, yeah. I have this information. Personally, I have access to this. Personally, I know this, uh, and and stayed away from opinion and belief." Whereas I think that's uh, when we watch TV interviews, podcast interviews, whatever, with a lot of these individuals, they begin to delve off into belief and opinion. And um, that has a, has a, a way of becoming canon <laughs> or becoming truth to people. Like they, they accept that as, as truth, where they're just a sharing opinion and belief. And, and certainly, I think, obviously, one of those things that kind of made me go, really? Uh, was when, you know, he mentioned individuals being harmed or, you know, or threatened or harmed uh, to kind of keep the UFO cover up. I mean, go wow. Um, and so I kind of I take an objective view to that. So that's a really extreme claim. I, I was really stunned. I'm thinking, this especially just- in that setting, because like you say, <laughs> that's been said a million times on podcasts, articles, movies. That is one of the things in the UFO topic that 
people in the shadows are there to keep this a secret by any means necessary. That's not new. But under oath in that setting to hear that, you know, basically people's lives have been threatened or harmed, then right. that's that's huge. Sure. And and I it, to hear that, I went, wow. Like, uh, but the fact that he's saying it under oath, I'm going, okay, you know, I, I take a very objective view to that is that he's submitting this as legal le- testimony evidence in a legal setting. And so therefore you, you, you don't have, in my opinion, or legally, you don't have the ability to go, well, that just sounds too outlandish to me. We're not going to look into that. You know, you have to, if, if, if you don't, then there is no point in swearing anybody under oath. There is no, there's no significance to that anymore. So it has to be treated uh, objectively and looked into. And, um, you know, unfortunately, even in those hearing settings, you saw it, like you said, every, everybody gets five minutes. And, uh, I really only remember one representative using their, their time to, brand stand, which was nice because that happens a lot in politics where they ask a question and then the remaining four and a half minutes, they go on to telling their, you know, this is why we deserve transparency. And you're like, okay, I don't care what you think. We can talk, you can talk about that any other time. Let's hear what they think. Um, and, uh, you heard that. And, and I went, cause I would love to dig deeper and, and say, well, what, what are the specifics behind that? Because that's certainly, and, and so that's where I go, how much of this is our uh, impression or perception of what's being said in truth? And what I mean yeah. by that is when yeah. I heard him say, yes, people have been threatened with harm. Uh, you know, you immediately go to X-Files, like Men in Black, like you're thinking movies, you know, the, the guy, people are showing up at your house. Or is that just a misperception? Is he, uh, you know, referring to the fact that people have been told that, you know, under U.S. law to protect secrets, you know, lethal force can be used. You know, if you were to run into a, a secure military facility and try to grab the uh, cryptographic keys to their information system, so the things that decipher the codes, if you were to try to grab that, you know, they could shoot you and kill you. And so, you know, is that what he's talking about? Because suddenly that seems less sci-fi fiction TV and more like I could see that happening. I could see somebody telling, you know, I could see somebody telling somebody else, you know, you know that attempting to reveal or attempting to access something of high, highly classified nature, you, you know, you do realize that, you know, the government's authorized to use force to prevent that from occurring because that is true <laughs> again. Right, exactly. Your point stands that you would just like to hear that elaborated on in terms of is this yeah, yeah. which which is a fair call out either way that you're, we're not entirely sure at this moment. Um, one more moment I'd like to speak on myself and get your opinion was we hear about a story from Vandenberg Air Force Base, two thousand three, where apparently multiple witnesses see a red square, red rectangle, red square come out the ocean, hover over the base, and this was seen by a lot of people. And then the same incident happened, what, 24 hours later, where multiple objects were sighted over the base. Had you heard of that story before? And again, what was your thoughts hearing that? I had not heard of it. And and I'll just say up front, I, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and so I, this is one of those ones where it's exciting because it's something new uh, to look into. And, um, you know, obviously the first thing is, wow, <laughs> you know, because when, you, when you're, you're hearing about these multiple different uh, technologies uh, that you know, don't exist in either commercial or even kind of military fashion. Uh, and then you're, you're hearing about this kind of large sighting. Oh man. It's one of these ones where I really need to dig into that to learn more about it, to be frank. But it is, 
interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's also another one of these instances where what's interesting about it is we're just now kind of hearing about it. And there may be other, it's kind of like with the Tic Tac. It wasn't until it came out in the New York Times did we go back and go, oh man, somebody tried to disclose this, you know, years earlier on a, yeah. on a website. Uh, so there may be more information because it's it's obviously, uh, you know, because there's been grumblings now about a mile wide UFO and this type of stuff. And you're thinking, God, you know, somebody sees something a mile big in the sky. You would think we'd hear about it. You know, you'd think it would be all over Twitter. You'd think it'd be all over uh, Facebook. But uh, we haven't had that. But at the same time, there are times that we just overlook things. You know, we, we do dismiss it outright. Yeah, it was again. I'm thinking back to what you said before about perception, opinion, mm-hmm. a story. Is it verifiable? And was that the place? And I was fascinated to hear that. But was it the place to put that in? And it then makes me think the folks who would who would cry for. And again, if people listening to our viewing this are maybe in this camp as well, and it's totally fair, we should have heard about remote viewing and alien abductions. Again, right. I'm like that's for, that's for way down the line. Let's keep that stuff out the conversation at the minute and it's got its time and place but not yet sure no no yeah no i agree Uh, you know and uh you know obviously every every door that opens opens kind of another hallway of doors because you're right you know if uh you know if the government was come out monday and say okay you know we have analyzed all of the data that we've compiled thus far through arrow and we have determined that there are these isolated sightings that indeed do not comport with human technology and appear to represent something other than that. It's like, whoa, <laughs> now suddenly the hallway door is flung open. And now what David Rush says, you know, there, there's a little clearer path to what he's saying. Uh, there's a little clearer path to stuff like abductions, all these other things. And so I do agree with you. It is kind of this this step process and to some degree going back to what you said earlier over is it too much too soon uh i guess that really what it, what it raises the question is uh, are we trying to access another door in the hall that we haven't even opened up yet for for the majority of people and the answer to that is probably yes because for the majority of people uh you know aren't on board <laughs> with a either there being anything to the, the ufo or uap topic or b that they're just all represent misidentifications that type of thing um it's it's a lot of information to process i'll say that i mean after the hearing that was one of the things i said i I would say to a certain degree i'm still kind of going through that where i said man i I gotta take some time to process everything here (laughs) that's why i thought i would speak that's why i wanted to speak to some folks (laughs) like you to get through these and kind of talk out loud and yeah i think i think right now it was very much on the tipping point of too much and just enough. And, and right now it seems to balance on just enough. Um, it's a very fine line. And I think time will tell very quickly if it was just that that too much. And I've got a question on that maybe towards the end, Tim. But I want to come back to you mentioned Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, director of Arrow. Um, he has since gone on the defensive, I think it's fair to say, um, a little bit unhappy at the claims made by David Grush. And it reminded me a little bit of, you know, when a couple have a breakup and, you know, someone's trying to stay quiet, but then the next day you do that Facebook post of, look, just to clear a few things up, um, this is what actually happened from my point of view. And I felt almost in a way as David Gru- uh, as, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick angling for his notice. I, Andy, that was bananas. <laughs> you know, I, it I was, was just, wild. It was extremely wild. And, and I, 
Uh, obviously, when I covered it in the article we did for the debrief, we'd cover everything objectively, like I believe news is supposed to. So I don't interject my opinion, but I did when I posted it on Twitter or X now, where I was like, I, I this is nuts. I, I, and I mean it when I say that I legitimately cannot think of another instance where a senior government official, civil servant, government employee ha- has so publicly, you know, admonished Congress. <laughs> congressional witnesses and one of which has an active whistleblower for reprisals. I'm like, this is nuts, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because the, the, uh, you know, it's very, it's not just policy. There, there's, there's federal law, there's legislation, uh, the hatch act where, where civil servants are, you know, have to remain apolitical and they're, they can't, <laughs> they can't do that. They can't interject themselves in the political process and, uh, certainly can't criticize, uh, the politicians, I'm like, this is nuts. Like, I can't believe, and it was really shocking. A because I I had to I had to rewatch the hearing again because I was like, why is he so angry? Because <laughs> I that was you know I didn't walk away from that hearing going, man, Arrow is garbage. You know, Craig Patrick's a bum. Uh, and in fact, you know, I know that he has faced a lot of criticism, at least on social media and everything. Yeah. Um, leading up to this. But after the hearing, I, I don't recall seeing that even. I don't probably people being like, oh, Kerbatrick's a bum. So I'm like, why is he so defensive? Like, why is he so upset? Uh, and, you know, I was able to pick out a few things through it. And I, but it, it really uh, was stunning because I didn't I didn't feel like the hearing was you know, it certainly wasn't lambasting him or Arrow. And, and there were certainly uh Certainly a more palatable way where he could have been like, look, I, we, we have not been privy to any of this information, but obviously what's being said deserves uh, scrutiny. But he felt uh, that they were uh, you know, disparaging Arrow. I didn't take it that way, but it was um, <laughs> it was stunning. And there was even, uh, you know, to be honest and give my opinion, there were even portions of his statement that I felt you, you adequately ascribed by this, you know, bad breakup X that goes on there and, and has this emotional venting. There was certainly elements of rage posting to the point, yeah. uh, you know, there, you know, I'm going to assume because the context when it was used that because he he didn't mention David Grush by name, but he said this individual, which would have been Grush, has not even has refused to 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 speak with Arrow, and this was following the comment of, of threats of, of reprisals and and everything, and I'm going. Arrow is not a law enforcement organization. Like what, what Grush is alleging is both a, a internal issue with, with uh, retaliation or reprisal that would be an inspector general issue, or if there are threats of violence or violence, that's a Department of Justice. You know, Shankar Patrick isn't arresting anybody. He isn't going to go file a court order. He's not going to file a criminal complaint on anybody. Like he's not, you wouldn't call Arrow if someone broke in your house. So I'm like, why is like, it was a weird because because it, uh, it without naming him, it certainly seemed to try to attack David Grush's credibility. But when you you understand the processes and mechanisms that are in place here, you're going, you're being kind of petty here, and you're being unreasonable and ridiculous. Like you're you're again, it's it's one you know the fire department getting mad because you called the police when your car got broken into. You know it's. Uh, Tim, I would say, to be fair, at this point, from what I've seen, I wouldn't call Arrow to report a UFO sighting, um, <laughs> given given some of the things I've seen and heard, not to be too flippant. But um, you said on your social media that um, the sentiments in Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's letter didn't speak for every member of Arrow. It was some, I'm paraphrasing, but I think that's correct. Is that right? 
Yes. Yeah. And can you elaborate on that? Um, you know, it's kind of self-explanatory, you know, without getting too much into it. Yeah. I will say that uh, there was some surprise by some people uh, because a lot, a large part of the, the context or really the tone in, in Kirkpatrick's statement was that this was defending the men and women of Arrow and felt like they had been bashed. Um, and there was, you know, there's people that, that didn't feel that way and were were relatively surprised because uh, I'm trying to be nice here and I don't know any other way to do it, but there there's certainly a sentiment of, of, of there's not a lot of people like Dr. Kirkpatrick, <laughs> let me put it that way, who, who have worked for him, worked with him both uh, in the past or maybe in, the, in recently. He, he evidently, I don't know him personally. I've spoken only a couple of words to him, um, but uh, you know, he 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 doesn't appear to be very likable, and so people kind of you know, people that saw it that maybe were internally were going standing up for us or standing up for yourself, like mm-hmm. you don't give right, a shit okay. about us, you know, like you're yeah. an asshole to us, and so uh, that was that was kind of the context of that is that uh, you know even going back to people who uh, you know, when he was the uh, director J2 Intelligence at Spacecom or when he was at Masick, people that have worked with him are like, he just, you know, tends to be kind of abrasive. And so uh, that was what, they, there was some sentiment of almost amusement that they felt like he was using them and their hard work to, uh, he had to take this, this valiant stand when they felt like maybe at certain times their own hard work is not appreciated by him <laughs> as is. He seems the kind of guy that plays his kids at Mario Kart and never lets them win. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know him personally. The, uh, no, I wouldn't keep you too much longer, Tim, but one thing uh-huh. I want you to clear up with your knowledge of the, the US legal system and political system and something to put into layman's terms for me is a letter to Speaker McCarthy has gone round uh, from representatives Burchett, Luna, Gates and Moskowitz asking for a select committee to be set up with subpoena power and I'll stop there because then it gets too technical, even for me. Can you explain in plain English what exactly those four are looking to set up and what it's going to achieve? Sure. So what they're looking to do is set up a select committee. So there, it would be a, uh, so you, like we had the subcommittee whose job you saw that was theirs is oversight over uh, borders control, national security, um, or you have like the armed services subcommittee. They're asking for what is a temporary committee to be established. So you, you would put a certain number, just like you see in any of these other committees. So you would have a chair, a vice chair, and a split number of Republicans and Democrats that would be placed on the committee. And their sole job uh, would be UAP and getting to the bottom of the UAP uh, issue. And then the subpoena power uh, would allow them to subpoena witnesses. So, you know, they can request people to come testify or they can subpoena them. And then obviously, if you refuse a subpoena, uh, you could be held accountable for that. And so just like you would if you got subpoenaed to court and you refuse to come to court. And so that's what they're asking for. I think people have, uh, you know, anybody who's followed the U.S. politics at all in the last couple of years has probably seen this more relative to you had these uh, when it was related to the Russian election interference that went on, uh, you know, Benghazi, they did that. That was back towards uh, the Obama administration. Um, but but that's really, you know, going into Watergate, you, you know, you name it, any of the really big 
political finalities where you, you've gotten some resolution. Uh, they, they've come out of these where you, you established a, a select committee of politicians and like this is going to be your uh, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get down to the bottom of it. And so be very, very interesting to see if it comes through. Uh, I, you know, I'm all for it. And, and I, I think anybody should be just based on what we've heard thus far. And I think that's the important thing is that um, for me, you know, it's fine to be skeptical. It's fine to be critical to a certain degree. And I wouldn't ask anybody to just outright believe what David Grush is saying is true. Um, but because of how he's presented it, hey, let's let's get to the bottom of it, you know, it's, let's figure out why. And I think that's, uh, that's the most resolution I'd like to see from a lot of this. And uh, that's an ef- excellent way to do it. Really, that's the mechanism to do it. So it's the next kind of logical step if you want to take this seriously. And I think it, you know, I, I, I can definitely see it happening. I can definitely see McCarthy approving it. I, you know, just simply because I think McCarthy may be one of the only influential politicians that I have not specifically heard address UAP. But when you have people like Chuck Schumer, um, really heavy hitters, especially the legislation that Chuck Schumer uh, put forth just recently is really robust. And so, yeah, that. but does that kind of sum it up? Does that give you an idea? Yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. So I wonder on that then, what is next? And in my head, let me play out, we've got the situation that could this all potentially go away, which is always, you know, something big happens, things escalate with Russia, uh, Russia, Ukraine maybe goes away in a nice way and everyone forgets about the UFO stuff, Hunter Biden story, which I'm not <laughs> totally up to date on, something with cocaine in the White House, his laptop, etc, etc, right? So there's all that going on in the background and I don't t- pay too much attention to it, it doesn't interest me. But then on the, the other side of it, I'm looking going... Is there a real possibility in six months' time, given aerospace contractors have been told they've got a grace period to hand over anything they might have, they won't face criminal prosecution, and we could be landed with, or the US Congress could be landed with bits of craft, full intact craft and alien bodies. Is it going to be something in between or just something else altogether? Yeah, you know... I've said this a lot lately, which is, you know, wonders never cease to amaze me because it's hard to predict what you're going to see next. I will say, in my opinion, and what what is normal in both in the political process and the government and just life in general, what's the next logical step is the fact that you have uh, you know, individuals like David Grush. But it's important to stress here. He's just the most public face there. There are other people. And, and I know that for a fact, there are other individuals who have have likewise expressed affirmative statements to what Grush has said in other official settings, in other legal settings, that type of thing. I don't see how you can make that go away without doing something. So, you know, know, the forming a committee, a commission to get down to the bottom of it. I I don't see how you, you, I don't see how you can just all of a sudden be like, oh, 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 well, (laughs) you know, let's go on to something else. There's got to be some kind of resolution. What that Do you think like a, like a new Project Blue Book type scenario where they bring that up to modern day? I don't think, you know, I think that's what Arrow kind of is and where the claims that are being made by David Grush and others. Um, this is a this is a beast of a different animal because where Blue Book was supposed to get to the bottom of the UFO topic, Arrow likewise is supposed to get to the bottom of the UAP topic. 
what's being alleged here is that there is considerably more information, including material science and you name it, behind it. Uh, and so I think that that's asking for a beast of a different animal that really does a, a very you know, really scrutinized internal audit of these claims that are being made by David Grush and others, you know, verifying what they're saying and then, then you know, what they do from that point forward. But the legislation that's just been recently proposed, the one that, that was uh, co-sponsored by Marco Rubio, I believe, but put forth by Chuck Schumer, mm -hmm. um, that is incredibly robust. And frankly, if that passes as is what we've seen, that will give a lot of the legal authority to do that because they, you know, went into uh, specifically naming out materials and things that even if it in, uh, you know, legislating that they would exercise imminent domain on it, meaning that even if a private contractor, let's say they had a crashed UFO and they're like, it's ours, it's private property, it's ours. Imminent domain means no, it isn't. You know, the government can come in and take it. Uh, for public good. And I think that's what's really interesting there. It, it's, uh, it's, I think somebody said it and I said, you know, it would be the most American thing ever is that the disclosure of all of this comes out through some type of legal court case because there is all these other legal battles. Yeah. That you could see, you know, you could see Lockheed say, no, we're not going to share. <laughs> that would be amazing uh, to have these kind of legal battles. It, it, we're in uncharted water. I'll say it that way because I, I have long said I don't know. I don't know an easy path for the government, any government, to come out and go. You got us. All right, we got all these crafts and bodies. Yeah, sorry. You know, we were just kidding for seventy years because as much as people like to say, you know, they would they would all of a sudden be like, oh, thank you for coming clean. We we forgive you, hugs. Um, that's not real life because the vast majority of people, even the ones that, that are the regular voting public who maybe read the David Grush story when it's on the New York Times or whatever, and then go about their daily life, it, when that comes out, suddenly they're going, holy, sh you know, we can't trust our government. We can't trust the president. Like it kind of collapses this whole system. So, I, I, you know, I, I've always said, how do you, <laughs> how do you, if all of that is true, how do you release it without kind of creating anarchy? Um, I think for a lot of people who want to see that information come out, the answer is always like, it won't, we're ready. It's cool. It's, and it's like, well, it, it is a nice sentiment, but I'm not sure that that's real life. Not, I say all that, not saying that I believe it should be hidden, but <laughs> it should have been hidden in the first place if it is. And so, uh, but how do you disclose it now without creating anarchy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, hopefully we're not just in uncharted waters, but uncharted water, air, and space. There uh, you go. Yeah, we're in all, all domains. We're in uncharted all domains right now, Andy. And, and the debrief will be there to cover it along the way. Yourself, Micah Hanks, and the rest of the crew who all do wonderful work. So it's very much appreciated by people like myself. Thank you. Yes, we, we will keep keep chipping away at it. it it's uh, If nothing else, I would say I have said for years that the, the crashed UFO thing was not something I really pursued at the... Uh, you really kind of alluded to it by saying, man, we're, are we putting the cart before the horse? It seemed like jumping too far. Uh, but given what's come out and everything, and especially when you have um, when you have these official channels in place, you know, it is the obligation of both authorities and I think the media to, to legitimately pursue it. So now we're kind of pursuing those angles. So who knows what will come out?
Well, all the links will be in the description. Tim, thank you for joining us again. It's been wonderful speaking with you. Check out thedebrief.org for all the latest UAP news. And it's also got tech, science. There's war correspondence on there and a whole lot of other things as well. So please do check it out. And we'll speak to you again very soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut down the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little red. Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. And I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think I'd be, then it's you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jay?